This week on the Drag Scene Podcast, Brian Loans joins me so we can talk about all things fun, drag racing related, NHRA, small tire, and a whole lot more. So, pull those belts tight, get ready to put in the beams. The Drag Scene Podcast starts now. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Drag Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor, Brian Wagner. This week, we're trying to just keep things rolling right along, keeping the racing content coming to everybody. And we talk with uh, Brian Loans this week about NHRA stuff, small tire stuff, standing mile stuff, just anything drag racing related. We try to touch on it. So uh, without further ado, let's get this drag racing party started. All right. This week on the Dragzine podcast, my guest is the voice of the NHRA, writer, photographer, and all around righteous dude, Brian Loans. What's up, Brian? <laughs> How you doing, Brian? Man, thanks for having me on. This is uh, this is cool. I enjoy listening to the show, and you always have uh, interesting people. So I hope I can live up to uh, live up to everybody else's example here. Oh, we set the bar so low; it shouldn't be hard at all. <laughs> a, a, a snail could trip over what we do here. It's just it's a big mess, but it's a lot of fun. But I appreciate the compliment for sure, and. Uh, you know what you got going on with the uh, the insider podcast had me at the second I heard the theme music. I'm like, oh, it's my childhood! Yay! <laughs> nice, yeah, thank you, man. I love uh, I love the old Diamond B stuff like you do. So thank you. How did you like? How did that whole podcast deal kind of come about for you? Um, you know, for me, it was um, when I signed my contract to go to work for HRA. They that was part of the contract was making a podcast and. Um, so it, the cool thing is, um, you know, I don't really have anybody breathing down my neck on that and I can kind of do what I want on a week to week basis. So it is fun. Um, and I enjoy, I've enjoyed doing it and I've enjoyed, you know, learning how to do it as well. So it's been cool. It's not something I ever, you know, initially ever really thought about. And then when, uh, we were going through the stuff, they said they wanted to do one. So here we are, but yeah, it's been neat to have a little bit more, you know, it's a little bit more longer form, right? You can spend some more time with people and um, you can have better conversations, I feel like, as opposed to just, as you well know, like at some point when you're writing a story, you have to end the quote. Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. Uh, you know, stuff, stuff like this, you can just kind of go on and, and let it go where it takes you. Yeah, exactly. That's the one thing when I kind of, you know, started this whole journey, except mine wasn't a requirement. It was me going to my boss going, I've got a terrible idea that's probably going to be a lot of fun. Just yeah. roll with it. That's great, man. And that's like the whole – I brief every guest on this. I'm like, this show has the the, the skeleton of a jellyfish. We're just kind of doing whatever <laughs> nice. works. You know, the only rules I always tell people is, you know, we don't talk about politics. We don't talk about religion and then keep the language at a high, high you know, hard PG-13. Outside yeah. of that, let's get weird. And that's, Let it fly, baby. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. And, you know, you write too, and it, 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 you hit the nail on the head. It gives us the opportunity to let these racers tell stories that you normally don't get to hear. And to me, that is, you know, the, the pure selfish inner fan of me. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah, and that's and that's what makes it fun for me, too. And, and you know, you well know um, when you start, like, when you start spending time with somebody in a conversational environment, like, pretty pretty soon into that, they figure out whether they can kind of, talk to you freely or not and i feel like the this is like a great format to allow that to happen and it's, and you know this too like you get some people on they're real tentative at first and by 20 minutes in they're spilling their guts so it definitely that's the good stuff man you need and i know you know this like when you get somebody like that that starts to really go down an interesting road it's like yes this is working <laughs> yeah exactly you just like i tell people it's pretty much the the idea is pull the pin throw the grenade and hope for an explosion you know <laughs> <laughs> and, and everything else will probably take care of itself Oh, that's perfect. 
but yeah, and then you started that other deal with the uh, the other mechanical items, and that's uh, that's that's pretty wild too. Yeah, it's um, the, you talking about the Dorka Auto Show or the Dorka yeah. Auto one? Yeah, and that is that is to to you what this podcast that is to me what this podcast is to you. That was just something that really came about because of my um, Instagram page. And on Instagram, I never post anything about myself, very rarely. Um, but it's just all like racing history and automotive history and cool machines and logging and you know just stuff that I'm intrigued about. And I try to give as much description on those photos as I can and you know names dates places and stuff like that but again you know there's only so much someone's going to read and with the Dorkomotive podcast it's it's a it's a long-form exploration into cool topics like you know Captain Jack McClure the guy who had the rocket go-kart in the 60s was the last episode I made I just completed an episode that'll air in a couple of weeks on Broadway Freddie Denane the guy that was a funny car racer that was also a mafia killer um you know stuff like that And, and Mario Rossi you know it's it's um it's been really fun and it's been really enlightening to see the stuff that people will listen to and the stuff that people don't have interest in. So it's cool to learn kind of the ins and outs of that as well. You know, analytics are, are both a, uh, it's like a time slip, you know, a time slip can make you the happiest guy in the world or it can break your heart. And the analytics, <laughs> analytics are the same thing. When you think you have like this great idea and this on, oh, everyone's going to love this episode. And it's like, nobody cares about that. Okay. That one was for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like, well, that didn't work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know, that's, that's definitely, and that, that's a cool thing too, with what you guys do at Bang Shift. And, you know, I, that's where I got my start was sending you guys some of my, you know, half-assed photos and whatnot. And then it spiraled into what, what we, we have today. So if anybody has a problem with what I do, please send your hate mail to Brian Loans. <laughs> yeah, you can blame us. That's blame blame yeah. Brian and Chad. This is all their fault. But, you know, that that's the cool thing about, you know, with what you guys do at Bang Shift is like, it's just it's all the stuff that like I know I'm into. I'm like, all right, that's, you know, it's not full on drag racing, but you know, there's something cool to be said about watching a pulling tractor spill its guts. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, I think for us, it's like when we, when we got the thing going in 2008 and, um, it was like, you know, you're just trying to post content every day. Like we still are. And it's, um, it's neat to see like that there is general gearhead interest and stuff, you know? So sometimes we get surprised by things, you know, there was a, and again, this goes back to just the weirdness of the internet. So like three years ago, there was a woman who was a truck driver and I'm not, I should, I should just say a truck driver, but she was a woman and she drove an 18 wheeler um, over this little ancient iron bridge. I think it was in Pennsylvania or something, but the, the bridge was rated for like three tons and she put like a, a loaded Kenworth on this thing and it collapsed this bridge that had been, you know, had been built in like 1815 or something. And so we ran that story years ago when it happened and it got a big response because it was like, just like, how dumb can you beat her signs everywhere? What are you doing? Um, and then randomly, like on Sunday, the thing got 47,000 clicks. Like <laughs> I checked the, and it's like, wh- why? Well, how is that possible? And you can go back and it's just, the internet is so weird how stuff will bubble up time and time again. And it does certainly keep the game interesting because, um, that old content, I'm sure, again, you've had this happen, too. Like, some old story you've written years ago all of a sudden starts blasting to the front of people's minds, and it's just a strange phenomenon. You're one share away from having something turn viral. That's, that's a great way to put it. Exactly. That is a great way to put it. And it's funny you mention that because I actually saw that story. I can't remember where I saw it floating around on social media, but I saw that story because it's the picture of the truck laid over on the bridge and stuff like that. 
And yep. I saw it somewhere on one of these Facebook groups. And that's all it takes. And especially with racers and stories and stuff that they like. It just takes that one post from, you know, Randy Johnson in Dubuque, Iowa on some big Facebook group. <laughs> and then whammo, it's all over the place. Yeah, and that's good and bad, right? Because, uh, you know, it can, it can go both ways. And, you know, in my, in my current job, I, I always call uh, – you know, Monday morning after a race is always like the my internet whitewater rafting ride because you you know you get all sides. You get the people that think you're the you know the worst thing that ever happened to drag racing yelling at you. You get people that think you do a good job, and it's uh, it's it's an interesting thing to 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 navigate that, and it's an interesting thing just to adjust to it. You know, I was I guess fairly used to it in the sense of you know having been writing stuff in public for years. You get the you get the hate mail every now and again, but. Um, it's a different level when you're talking to like a million people on a Sunday and there's a certain first portion of those people that, that uh, want you to just never open your mouth again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I learned something similar after lights out. I, uh, that was kind of when I did the, the live feed stuff there, I was like, Oh, well, I've never been addressed that way before. I guess that's a new one. Yeah. And it's interesting, man, because it's like, I think it's, you know, in, in human nature is you want to be liked. Every, you know, nobody wants to be, you know, even the people that say they don't mind being outright just hated by everyone, they do mind that. I, I'm convinced of that. But at the same time, the only thing that really gets to me is when people that have legitimately no idea what they're talking about or, or speak with, you know, some great authority. Like, you know, just for instance, there was some guy on like a um, uh, factory stock showdown, you know, thing that popped up and it was in my face. And this guy's saying how, you know, NHRA, you know, don't touch Chris Holbrook's car. He just ran in the 60s and NMCA, and he's going to come over there and do the same thing. And if you don't allow this to happen, like, you're destroying the sport. This is, of course, you know, going to be a gain zone. And I, I normally ignore most of that stuff. And finally, I just I just wrote, for the love of God, those are two completely different rules packages. And this guy had no clue. And it's like, how are you a fan of any of this stuff? He didn't even know that. You know, that's the stuff that gets me. Yeah, it, the, yeah unfortunately, the, the social media has given the, the – the village idiot a giant megaphone and we all have to suffer through it <laughs> yeah it's a fact man it's a fact that it's sometimes it's entertaining and you know i've had some interesting interactions with fans i had a, a lady uh and i normally don't do this uh, but this was last year this woman was just like all over me about something and finally i just kind of i was ignoring her then i asked her like okay like can you define your what the problem is here and she says well you always give away the results of the first round of pro stock and i said well normally on our sunday shows we run those as highlights and we say these are the highlights of the first round of pro stock so or the second round or whatever it is and so she like didn't understand what that meant so once i explained it and she, then she had some other thing that I, and I wasn't correcting her. I was just talking to her about how we do the job. And she was like, oh, okay. Um, can I send you a Facebook friend request? It's like, no. No, no. <laughs> no, you can't. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just a trip, man. It's a trip. And I love it. But every once in a while, though, it's like somebody just like runs up the side of you and it's like, oh, come on, man. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, 2020 has been it's been an interesting year across the board in about every way imaginable. And, you know, the, the whole NHRA deal is, you know, is your, your, your definite wheelhouse and whatnot. And what's your take on kind of the performances that we've seen, you know, so far this year, you know, just let, let's start with funny car. What's a, what, what's the big thing you've kind of taken away from funny car so far? Um, to me, it's just, it's, it's Jack Beckman, you know, I, to me, it's, and it's a conversation that I think all like 
drag racing fans have or drag racing, uh, you know, uh, prognosticators like you and I, whatever, but like, is there such a thing as momentum in drag racing? And, you know, on the face of it, you can just be like, no, there isn't. Cause if you make a bad run in the second round, you lose, it's done. But I think you look at like, if we start looking at Jack Beckman's car um, from the U S nationals forward last year, it's like, this thing's awesome. I mean, you know, they, he loses the U S nationals to force. Then he comes back and he wins Maple Grove, which is the first race of the countdown. And then through the countdown, they're very solid. He wins the finals. He comes back. He, he wins the winter nationals. He makes the finals in Phoenix. And it's like, this is a team that clearly has momentum. And um, so a funny car to be Jack Beckman all the way. Uh, it was cool to see Alexis, you know, make a semifinal appearance at her return, um, you know, back to the class. I'm, I'm legitimately uh, very happy to have her back in just because, you know, as much as, um, as much as it's redundant to, to our hardcore fans, people that follow drag racing, I do think it's important that we have, you know, a mix of competitors like, of genders and races in every class. I think that's important. It's, it's what our sport has always been about. So to have her back in funny car is uh, a great thing, and especially with a capable team like she's got with Dell. Oh yeah. And she's a wild card too. I mean, you literally, you, you know, you put that mic in front of her. It's like, you know, it, it's a female John force. You don't know what's coming. Yeah. And she's super passionate. You know, it's like, um, the, she is not a person who is good at hiding the emotions of the moment, which I think is great. You know, she, like every driver is, is can be measured and professional when, when it's a, you know, a pit interview or something like that. But when she's going rounds and, you know, she, um, we had to do some, we had to do some tape editing on the winter nationals because she was dropping F-bombs climbing out of the car, which I love. I mean, honestly, as long as it's not a national television, I'm all for it <laughs> because it gets weird there as we learned in Seattle last year with John. But, um, yeah, I, I love the fact that she's in, and I think it speaks a lot to her in the fact that, like, when she left drag racing, not that, I don't know how to say this properly, I definitely understood her passion for drag racing, having been around her, you know, being at all the races and stuff. The casual fan at home, I think, had the idea, well, you know, she's got, uh, you know, she's got a good nest egg with her family, and she just wants to go and do something else, but she legitimately had personal things that she wanted to leave and take care of. And so when somebody comes back in the fold, to me, that is like the ultimate sign of how much they love it, right? Because she could be doing whatever she wants to be doing. She doesn't have to be doing this, but this is where she wants to be. So I think that's doubly cool. Oh, yeah, for sure. And fun fact, you can hear on NHRA.TV, like the F-bombs live when, you know, the mic's hot down there. <laughs> yes, yes. So that to me, again, was just like <laughs> awesome. I'm like, that's, you know, you could tell how fired up she is there. And, you yeah. know, like with what you said with Beckman, you know, that 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 whole operation, like you said, they're, they're clicking and they've got, you know, you get in tune with your vehicle and what's going on and they've, you know, they've got it figured out. And that could be a that could be a little bit of worrisome for everybody else, because when you're consistent with a nitro car, that's that's pretty hard to do. Oh, it totally is. And especially in a funny car. Right. Um, so, yeah, to see them doing to see them doing what they're doing. And, you know, I, I always um when when you see like when Robert Height and Jimmy Proc and Chris Cunningham and those guys get on a roll, it is it is almost astonishing to watch because it just it, you just like you can almost predict what's about to happen. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like oh, this person in the other lane is about to just get their ass kicked. Like this is going to be ugly for them. But when it when it comes to Jack Beckman's team, they don't necessarily have like the outright. Um, you know, full on Thor's hammer tune up. But what they are able to do is like you said, be adapt, adapt to the different racetracks, adapt to the different conditions. And 
you know, Guido is a brilliant guy. Uh, Medlin's a, br- a brilliant guy, and, and they got an experienced team. So, yeah, I, I look for Jack to to continue that through the season. And also, you know, when we get into these mid-late summer months, and who knows, that may be when we start racing again. But when we get into that time of the year and we get on these 120-degree racetracks, to me, that's where the rubber really meets the road, and we'll find out if those guys can keep it up then. Oh, yeah. Anybody, you know, it sounds terrible or cliche. It's easier. Anybody can get down a good track, but it's the teams that have got a hot track tune up figured out. Those are the ones that worry everybody else. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's something we mentioned a lot on the show, but it is that the, the racetrack is the equalizer in, in so many ways. And, you know, we go back to Bristol last year. You got Lex June winning in the first round against Leah. You know, you got uh, all kinds of that. That race had a lot of crazy stuff happening. Um, you know, and then and then we get to uh, what was it was it yeah it was Phoenix this year I guess we had like a total of like ten red lights at eliminations which was just ridiculous it was uh, you, you never know what's going to happen these uh, at these races or any drag race but that's that's what makes us so great you know we can have our opinions we can have some information to back them up but when Sunday morning comes around there really is absolutely no prediction as to who's going to be standing at the end of the day and you know kind of going off of that then you've got Top Fuel which again is already shaping up to be an interesting uh interesting season with Torrance not making the first race then coming to the second race and just that whole class seems to be uh to me I think it's still going to be up for grabs yeah I do too and and what I what I really like and in terms of um trends I guess we can say that are happening you know in the in those two categories is that top fuel has in my opinion over the last couple years and especially last year and now two races into this year has established itself as a, a premier driver's class. And that takes nothing away from the funny car category. Like I want funny cars to be the, the animal that never goes straight that you have to wrestle the finish line. And what I'm seeing top fuel turn into is, you know, these cars are obviously because of their engineering and their physics are more likely to get down a racetrack because of the wing and everything else. But look at the starting line reaction times of, of all the drivers, not all of them, from of 90% of the drivers in top fuel and they are comparable to what you see in pro stock. Justin Ashley is averaging a sub 40 light this season. And that's across all his runs qualifying and eliminations, a sub 40 reaction time average in top fuel. You get guys in the fifties and sixties. It's just mental. Yeah. And again, that's what will make that class, you know, interesting to watch is, you know, you need a certain amount of muscle and whatnot, but at the same time, when you know you're lined up against someone that, you know, they're solid A to B contender and they're cutting a light, it just makes it that much more difficult to, you, you can't brutalize people, you know, and run away from people like you normally could. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, I think it's important that there is differentiation amongst the classes, not just in the construction of the cars or the layout of the cars, but there's differentiation in the skill set required to be successful in them. Uh, obviously, if you try to drive a top fuel dragster like a nitro funny car, you will crash it within six feet. You'll oversteal the car and it'll flip over. It would be like I was driving it. It would be very, it would be very, very bad. So I, I want, I want maybe the, the 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 funny car category to establish itself almost as the world of outlaw style of racing you have to do in NHRA, and I want Top Fuel to establish itself as almost an IndyCar style of precision that you need to have, uh, you know, to, to to really be successful there. And you know, we look at Steve Torrance's lights weren't the best in Phoenix. It was his first race of the year, and he admitted that. And I'm not taking a shot at the guy; just he wasn't his normal self. Uh, Doug Coletta has been, but you know, Steve Torrance and that team. 
when one side of the team isn't isn't performing, the other side picks them up, and that that goes both ways. I mean, he's bailed those guys out of some pedaling runs or tire tire smoke and shaking runs, and those guys have bailed him out of some lazy uh, reaction times with big horsepower. So it's a neat thing when you see a drag race team win an event, and it's a and it's a recognizable team effort. You know, maybe the car struggles a little bit in qualifying, and on race day the driver pulls some good reaction times out, and then they find the tune-up in the second or third round. That's a very satisfying thing, not just for the team, but I think for me as a fan. Like I want to see that full range of a team being a team. And you know, kind of going off the whole team concept, we can transition into pro stock right now and. Elite Motorsports is pretty much, I think their goal is to just crush everybody's hopes and dreams starting like last year going forward because they've, they're, they're, they're ripping people apart. Yeah. Um, the World Door Slammer Nationals in Orlando provided what I hope is an accurate picture into other people getting their act together, specifically KB Racing, because I mean, the first two races of the year look like, you know, uh, if, if, if we were talking about a, a movie, uh, it was Elite Motorsports as Godzilla, and it was KB Motorsports as the Japanese city. I mean, it was not it was not a good look for KB over those first two races. They um, just did not seem to have, chassis-wise, they didn't seem to be in the ballpark. And at the World Door Slaver Nationals, Matt Hartford with the KB engine qualified first, they made very representative runs, and they and they closed that gap to a very manageable level. I still think KB has the edge and drive, rather Elite has the edge and driving talent um, with Erica and Jag. I mean, my God, between the two of them, it's just ridiculous. Oh yeah, I'm fairly certain that Erica just has literally just frozen pond ice water in her veins. <laughs> she does. And that's a, like. You know, you're a sports fan, I'm a sports fan, and the people that we admire in any sort of sport are the people that, in the clutch, rise to the occasion. It's what makes great athletes great athletes. It's, uh, you know, it, it's it's Larry Bird having a 60-point game. It's, uh, you know, it's Don Larson, whatever, throwing a perfect game in the World Series. It's that, it's that acceptance of the moment. It's that acceptance of the pressure, and then it is complete delivery of your best, and that's what she's so good at. It, to me, you know, I'm a big combat sports fan, and it reminds me a lot of when you see a fighter coming to the ring or to the octagon, and they don't look amped up. They look like their pulse is about, you know, they're about to go into REM sleep. <laughs> you know, there's no fear. There's, It's just, if you're the person in the other lane or across from them, and you're not as mentally strong, that's not good. Because that that's the kind of thing that will break you before stuff even starts. Yeah, and I think the 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 thing with her and with Jag, you know, Jag to me is you know his talent is so cultivated. He's been at it so long. He races in multi dis multiple disciplines. Um, you know, he's a great sportsman racer. Has won national events in seven different categories. The only person in the world to have done that. Um, you know, is is one thing for him. His path is that. Erica's path. I think because of the fact she's had hardship because of the fact she drove stuff that wasn't competitive for so many years, because of the fact that, you know, she has her detractors, um, both publicly and privately, uh, she uses all that stuff as some fuel. And, uh, I think that's good. I think her, maybe one of her greatest strengths is being able to use the, you know, use some of those, uh, moments in her career that weren't her favorite as motivation currently when she is definitely all world. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And then that final with the World Door Slammer Nationals, I mean, that was like, you just, you talk about welded to the door. I mean, that's like, that's the race you want to see in a situation like that with big money on the line. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely the, the way you want it to go down. You want you want the final round to have two of the best that have ever raced. You know, you got Greg and Jag. Um, you got 75 grand sitting there. And, you know, Jag is a guy who's raced big money races for his whole life in bracket racing. And, you know, I think Greg is so focused. I'm not sure he was thinking about the 75. I think by that point in the day, I think Greg was so happy to have a race car back. Um, I think if you had told him that the prize was $7.50, he would have run him. <laughs> he still yeah. would have run him just as hard. And, you know, kind of going off of that and what we saw at that event with Alex Laughlin jumping in a car he's never been in and then winning the event. In my opinion, right now, I think he is the most well-rounded drag racer there is. It's, uh, I think it's impossible to argue against that at this point, especially when it comes to very high horsepower door slammers. You know, um, I think when it, for a guy who races at his level, I think there's nobody else out there that that is doing what he's done. Um, Stevie Fast, we can we can have that argument, but I think Stevie, I put Stevie on perhaps a different plain than I do Alex and that's again not taking anything away from Alex and listen I you know there are times when Alex uh, I was kind of hard on Alex last year a few times at 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 the races and um you know one of the things that that me and Tony Pedregon really strive to do is you know to be honest with the viewers and to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with our reactions to things and you know when Alex um when he won the U.S. Nationals with a 120 reaction time against Erica it was it was befuddling you know and he still won the U.S. Nationals. I'm not saying he shouldn't have won. He, he had the better car. He performed. He won the race. Um, but also, it wasn't like I didn't go on television and say, golly, G. Willikers, what a great run. You know, he, he won the race. But, my God, it was the strangest way I've ever seen anybody win it. Now, to contrast that to the things he's done um, when he, you know, beat Stan Ferris on a whole shot for the big money down there in South Georgia, when he wins races like he did at, uh, at Orlando in the supercharged car that he never so much as even really sat in before that week. The guy is as good as anybody out there right now. And that's a fact. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at every, like, I agree with the fact that him and like, you put him and Stevie on different, like dimensional planes, if you will. Like they're, they're both awesome and they're awesome. And like, it would be very interesting all right, here's my idea for a show. You take those two and you make them do the drag racing Olympics where they race pretty much everything. They have to bracket race. <laughs> they got to run a dragster. You know, they have to do it all. That, I think, might be the only way that we could potentially settle that argument because if that's the level of talent that both of those guys have. And I think Stevie could do the same thing where he could jump into something he's never really jumped in before, make a couple laps and be like, all right, I got this. And then that's it. Yeah, I think, you know, to me, it goes back to, you know, it goes back to things like um, you can, you know, there are so many like Stevie and and Alex have have similar um, uh, similar attributes to so many other people in drag racing. And this this conversation has so many similar attributes. We can go all the way back to the early pro stock days and we can talk about Ronnie Sox versus Grumpy Jenkins. And we can talk about how, you know, Ronnie Sox, incredible driver, wins the first championship, wins those races. Jenkins. Like Steve, and I and I would put Alex in that Jenkins in that uh, sock style of, of driver, right? A guy who was focused on driving the machine. You have Stevie, it's kind of the grumpy type, where he's able to build the thing from the ground up. He's able to tune the thing. He's able to you know do this in multiple disciplines. And I, 
you can't take somebody's you can't fault somebody for being good at really good at something. And I'm not faulting Alex for that. And I'm not elevating Stevie for what he's doing. I just think it's different. If you're the, the chief cook and bottle washer and maitre d' of the restaurant versus uh, a five-star chef that is only concerned with his lines, his line cooks, both of those are valuable people. And both of those are exceptional people. And that's what Alex and, and Stevie are to me. Yeah, definitely. And I think, again, that's what makes drag racing so interesting compared to a lot of other motorsports is that you have these racers and drivers at different levels that are so you know it's a lot like the old school nascar days when they could build race tune you know drive do it all a lot of really good drag racers have that same attribute and ability like a dirt track racer they can they're they're not just a a wheel man they understand how to make it all work yeah and and Exactly. I think, uh, you know, like sportsman level, high level sports and stock car racing, I think still has a lot of that stuff. Of course, you know, World of Outlaws guys are the hardest core. I think drag races are incredibly hardcore, but there is nothing that even approaches the level of insanity of a season of World of Outlaws racing. Those guys are, you know, what, 50 or 60 events a year. They're racing like every night of the week. Um, so, yeah, I think I think drag racers definitely fall on the on the on the spectrum of hardcore drag racers are far more to the hardcore end of things than certainly a professional indie car or stock car driver is um i would just put the world of outlaws guys at the far end of lunatic fringe oh any 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 dirt track racer we were up at cumberland maryland my my wife and i years ago and the one of the big name teams cracked up their primary car so they put that you know they roll the backup out because they're out on tour so while he's out there beating and banging on that car, half of his team is back in the pits trying to get that other car ready to rock and roll in case oh it God. happens when they're getting ready to race, you know, an event within a day. I mean, that's just – it's nuts to watch that happen. Yeah, that is uh, – it's incredible, you know, and the, 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 the work ethic, any, you know, any racer, it doesn't matter what level you're at. You know, my dad's, a, my dad's an active sports racer, and I see how much effort he puts into his stuff, and – it doesn't matter what level you're competing at. Um, it is it is a constant amount of work. And, you know, at the highest levels, forget about it. It's off the charts. Yeah. And, you know, looking at that as well, you know, we've had our a couple big, you know, small tire drag radial races this year and, you know, a few non-NHRA races as well. Yeah. And, you know, with radial versus the world, we'll kind of look at that right now. That class has just – it's it's hit another gear like the transmission of Melanie Salemi's freaking car. There's like eight million Fast and the Furious grabbing gears, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know. That thing going down the racetrack, it does. It sounds like the Fast and the Furious car chase with all the yeah the the, the torque converter locking and unlocking the thing changes and her making gear shifts. It's like it's it's almost beyond description that that much stuff mechanically can happen in that in that car between the bell housing and the tail shaft of the transmission and that 3.6 seconds that it runs or three three fifty now that it runs down the, the eighth mile with, but man, yeah. Radio versus the world to me is, um, it's just fascinating. It continues to be fascinating. And people are still showing up with cars, man. People are still showing up with new stuff. David Reese and that Camaro with the, you know, the quote unquote small block in it, which is 4.6 inch four spacing, but it is considered a small block. And, Pontiac style engine billet, screw blower on it, and there he goes down into the 50s. I mean, nitrous cars can't be competitive. Oh, wait, 
let me show you how that's going to work, Stevie says. And next thing you know, we got Nitro Stars with a record. I, it's it's a golden moment in that class. I don't know how much, how, I don't know how many years left we have at the golden moment of Radio Versus the World. I hope it's several. Uh, but I mean, this thing is this thing is the snowball has picked up, you know, eight tons of snow on the way down the hill, basically in that class, and it's awesome. Oh yeah, and I just had a great idea too. The next event, you can play a drinking game with Lee that he has to take a drink every time Melanie's car shifts a gear. Yeah, we'd be passed out. That would be it. Lee would have alcohol poisoning in one run. I mean, just <laughs> you know. And listen, I've seen Lee drink. He can put it away, but that would be the end of him. It'll be fine. He'll be fine. Just just <laughs> give him a low proof stuff. He'll be good. But train professionals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tell tell him to start training now. He's got a little bit of yeah. time. But, yeah, I mean, that class, you know, I remember when 4-0s, people lost their mind. And, you know, here we are now. It's like they're looking around like, man, someone's going to go. You know, someone's going to go 340s. It's just a matter of when. It is. It is a matter of when. And um, all it is is the right night on the right racetrack. And, you know, it's a, it's a spring-fall class, as you know, or it's a late-winter-fall class. And... Uh, obviously, with uh, Sweet 16 being relocated to October, and then who knows what happens over the next couple of months with whether we're going to be able to have races of any type or not. But um, I, I think, in my opinion, uh, if we see it happen, it's going to be very late in the year. But uh, I do think we are going to see it happen. It's 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 at this point an in, in inevitability in my mind as well. Only question is who's going to do it. Yeah, and that's the thing right now is that. To me, you don't even you. I wouldn't even put a bet on what Power Adder is going to do it because there's a distinct possibility these Turbo guys might all of a sudden decide to uncork one, and then you know we'll see a a three forty at like God knows what two twenty plus. So it's it's going to be yeah. interesting. Yeah, I, I honestly think you know before it's all said and done, you're gonna you're gonna see Radio versus the World as the quickest door slammer class in drag racing history. You know, Pro Extreme. Well, I guess technically it's not the late pro extreme anymore because ADRL is going to bring it back to some degree. But um, I think that uh, before it's all said and done, RBW will be, uh, at least for a time, the quickest and fastest door slammer category in, in drag racing history. I mean, Reese's car is already the quickest small block anything in drag racing history. Adam Sorokin runs a front-engine top fuel car out on the West Coast. The champion speed shop car looks like a Batmobile. Really cool piece. It runs a small block style engine. And it is not as quick as David Reese's screw-blown Camaro on what? a 315 radial tire. That's insane. That just it's 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 it's, it's beyond description. It, it really is. And you, you know you may you know you referenced it being the golden era. Don't know how much longer it's going to last. And one of the cool things about drag racing, in my opinion, is evolution, morphing. These classes, you know, you look at limited drag radial came from guys that just didn't want to spend the cubic dollars in radial versus the world. Pro 275 is becoming a baby-ish radial versus the world. What, you know, these people aren't just going to quit racing. The question is, what are, you know, what are they going to do when radial versus the world, if it ever starts to die or change, you know, what could they possibly do? Yeah, I think, you know, if we look at, I think, you know, the natural trajectory of, of most every heads up category really outside of uh, outside of pro stock and nitro funny car and top fuel has been um, a pretty similar arc. And, and the one great thing is in small tire drag racing uh, and, and full body cars, there's always been 
guys creating the next the creating the next class. I don't say the next class now, but they created they created the next the next class that will catch the cars that aren't competitive at the top, the highest level anymore. So um, that will continue to happen. You know, Pro 275 will spawn some other variation of itself because what's going to happen? It's the same thing. You know, the, a lot of the uh, RBW guys are starting to filter into Pro 275. It's taken them a little bit of time to get their tune-up right on a smaller tire. But once they do it, the guys that are running 4.0s and high 390s and, and Pro 275 are going to go, well, I can't run 370s and 360s. Where do I go now? And then they're going to split off and find a group, and maybe they go to LDR, which is, I would assume is where they end up. It's just it's always been the way, and it's it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing, but, like, the most heads up door slammer classes are created because the class of guys who were originally running got way too fast for them. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And that's, you know, where Pooch and Tyler rule LDR with a, you know, I, I call it the, the velvet hammer, you know, they, they're yes. nice about it, but they, they smack people, you know, and they're, they're real about it. You know, that's what I think you have to do with that class is racers are their own worst enemies, you know, and it, it's a, it's a hard group to keep in check. Period. Oh, it's an impossible group. Impossible group to keep in check, and that's um, that's been the same way. That's been the way it's been since the beginning. You know, like literally since the beginning. That's been how it, how it's gone. And yeah, I think for limited drag radio, it was it was and continues to be the right class for the right time. I think that um, the car that really scared me in that class that I thought was going to be um, detrimental to its to its livelihood was was daniel ferris and alexis uh love the car love everything about it it's an incredibly well-engineered amazingly high-performing car but man i looked at that thing and i thought this is not for i mean it, it fit the rules it fit the description but i thought to myself this is not the spirit of this thing man i want shane stack's car in there um i want i want justin martin in there i want the guys in these full-bodied cars that still you know have um some lineal connection. I mean, Booch's car, yeah, the thing's got an all billet motor in it now and twin turbos, but it is an old Cutlass from end to end with a full interior in it, basically. And, you know, that Lexus is is a wonderful car. It is uh, it is done everything that it's ever been designed to do in drag racing, but I am thankful that it's no, no longer, um, you know, kind of like the shark under the waters of LDR. Yeah, yeah, that car, again, yeah, I, I remember I shot the feature on that thing, and I was like, there's just – this thing, like, this is a work of art. Like, that that was the only, that's what kept popping up in my mind as I was shooting the pictures of it and catching more and more details. But, yeah, that car would have, eventually, I think, would have wrecked that class. It just, yeah, and, and again, it's it's it fits the rules. It fit the, it fit the, by the letter of the law. And um, I, I'm just glad that it's not there to, to just blow the whole thing to smithereens kind of we'll change directions a little bit even sure. more because you know it's it's fun to do and it's my show we can do whatever we want <laughs> um did you watch any of tx2k or see any of the highlights oh man yeah i watched uh, i watched a ton of the videos and uh, that event it, that event's unbelievable you know it's um it's been one that I've, I've just wanted to go and watch honestly for years just because you know I, i'm not like the guy who's very deep into that particular role racing scene i know some of the bigger players and some of the bigger names but like every year there's at least eight to 10 cars I see in highlight videos or whatnot. And I'm like, I didn't even know this thing existed. And now it's going to go run like whatever, 240 or something ridiculous. That That's where I was going with that was that, that Lamborghini from underground that went 234 miles an hour. Yeah. That, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. And it looks, 
and it sounds just sitting there idling. It sounds like a like it sounds like a Lambo with an exhaust. And I always wonder, I always wonder about you know Underground, incredible company that been doing what they've been doing for years, and they keep getting better at it somehow. Um, but I always wonder, like, I wonder what Lamborghini thinks of this. Not that I care what Lamborghini thinks, but I, I wonder if they've ever like called or sent a letter or just politely asked to stop it. <laughs> they're, they're they're not Ferrari. They're not. They're, there's a reason why you don't see anybody doing that with Ferraris. They're not Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, Ferrari would come and like burn your business down and then take the cars away, right? Yeah. yeah. They, I think Lamborghini's just you know. I think they just they they like seeing what these guys do with these cars, and it's like with with that whole deal. Every time I'm thinking, man, that's you're not two twenty a couple years ago it was just mind blowing, and then I saw that two hundred thirty four mile an hour run. I'm like, that was that was gnarly. That thing was rolling out. It was angry, and it was just going. Yeah, and, and when you watch like in car videos of those cars, you know they're they're all wheel drive uh, for the most part, and like the amount of driving those guys are doing in there is wild. Like that, that thing that makes so much horsepower and torque that like they're trying to tear the wheel out of the guy's hands. And yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, I, I think Lamborghini's always been the, the brand that likes to party and certainly the one that likes to, to shove it in Ferrari's face. Cause after all, that's how the whole thing started. Right. Yeah. Lamborghini, Lamborghini, they wouldn't sell him a Ferrari. So he said, okay, I'm going to build my own cars and off they went. So it does make some sense that they would like to be the, and they always have been kind of the more aggressive outlandish and all that kind of stuff. It's, um, it's it's amazing to watch, and it's again, it's another part of drag racing that didn't exist what 15 years ago. I mean, we're, it existed on the street, of course, but in terms of an organized roll racing event, I don't know the historical timeline on it, but it can't be much more than 15 years old. No, and even back then, even back then, it was it was nothing like it is today. And listen, man, anytime you can have an event that puts people in a drag strip. We all went for it. And I know they had to, you know, knock the spectators out of it because of everything that's going on. But, but they had gazillions of tickets sold. The place was teeming with people on Friday. And anytime anybody's doing anything at a drag strip that puts people in the stands, the sport's better for it. Oh yeah. And like you said, the thing I thought I was, when I was watching the event too, I thought the, before I saw that car run, a few of the Vipers were really laying it down. I'm like, man, this is going to be the year where, maybe underground doesn't do you know doesn't dominate everybody and then that car goes out and lays into people and then it ran that one fast viper in the final and you see the underground posted the the in car of that run and it pulls away from that viper like it's tied to the christmas tree goes 234 the scoreboard lights up for the viper it went 210 and it looked like it was sitting still (laughs) yeah it's ungodly man you know i mean it's it's you look at you know i mean god you just you just look at the way um the way the the highest level cars in the category performed we're not even 25 years away really 25 maybe 30 years away from when from when those are premier numbers for a top fuel dragster and it's like now you're doing it in a in a legit street street car yeah yeah you know you got you got a pile of money and a nice line of credit you can do anything Clearly, because that's where, the, it's, you know, between the amount of guys that can make anything out of billet now, you know, guys like Steve Morris and, and what he's done with Tom Bailey at Drag Week. And, you know, we look at the things that are happening at an ever-increasing rate in the modern performance world, not just in drag races, but in street performance, too. It's like, how does this possibly get any better? And then it keeps getting better. So I don't know. Oh, it's like, you know, I was with uh, Carlisle yesterday when they were trying to put that C8 in the uh... – in the nines after going okay. tens and 
the that was my first time seeing a C8 in person, and stunning. Like picture, I was gonna say, what did you think? What was your impression? You liked it? Yeah, I looked at that car. I'm like, I'm not a vet guy, but I want that car. Just nice. just looking at it because it's got like. The best way I can describe it, because mind you, it's not on stock wheels. The stock wheels are hideous. God, they're awful. Yeah, they're bad. But that thing on aftermarket wheels. Oh, it's it, good. With beadlocks and radials on it, it looks so awesome. I saw that photo. It's probably your photo I saw. It's, it's awesome. It, yeah. It looks like, in my opinion, the perfect mixture between American muscle and European styling. Inside the car, I mean, it, it's the full package. And then just the stock exhaust sounds amazing. I mean, I, I was, you know, I was just geeking out over this thing. And then he put it on the factory two-step. Oh, my. <laughs> Through the stock exhaust, I'm like, oh, okay. This thing is cl- clearly someone did their homework and knew what they were doing. And that car is going up to an exhaust company to have a, an exhaust design for the C8. But that thing going 11 O's on motor realistically you could take like it you're not going to see those things in pro mod unless someone gets real real uh ingenuitive with uh, some tubing and a cutting torch and whatnot yeah the conversation i had with a guy the other day about that they said uh hey you think uh think we're gonna see one of those in pro mod body i said we already did it was randy morris tatsi spumanti lamborghini kuntash from the the 90s it would look like that and Randy's car was cool, but it was kind of weird. It's about as functional as a scream door on a submarine. <laughs> right. But that that C8, that thing's going to change the game just with styling and performance and what you can get out of a street car. Mark my words, take it to the bank. That car, with what they're going to have with that thing, is going to be I, – I can't wait because, you know, SEMA this year was all about, you know, they who let the Supras out. I think next year you're going to see C8s in every freaking booth, and to me that's perfectly fine. Yeah, I, I agree, and uh, yeah, it was definitely it was definitely Superville, you know, Superville USA, and it happens, right? We see that every year at the show. One year it's everybody's got a new Camaro, next year everybody's got a Mustang. It was Supras and Jeep. Oh my God, Jeeps! Yeah, I, I mean, even companies that make no parts for Jeeps are like, let's just put a Jeep in here. Yeah. You got to have that Jeep. Yeah, they breed like rabbits. You know, <laughs> that's what it was. That's what it was. They were spreading. It was actually spreading from booth to booth. <laughs> you turn out like there wasn't a Jeep there. It's like, oh, it's a Jeep now. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, that was something. But yeah, no, you're right. I think uh, I think next year or this year, I guess, at SEMA, it'll be C8 City. Yeah, and that's. And you'll probably still see those supers in there because they had a super. You know, back to TX2K, they had a super class there, and. The first, again, to me, the C8 and the Supra have the exact same thing in common. Pictures don't do them justice. And oh yeah, when you put different wheels on them, it changes the whole look of the car. And you know, you're not going to reinvent the Mark IV Supra. That car is like you're not going to touch that. That's that's the icon. That's you know, I love those cars. But these new Supras kind of fit in their own classification and are pretty gnarly. And it just kind of all brings together that with the C8. The new Camaros, Mustangs, what Dodge is putting out. It's a great time to be a gearhead performance enthusiast, period. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I got, I got two sons, and, and my oldest son uh, really likes Supras. Uh, he follows some guys on YouTube that have them, and they've got body kits and other stuff and hop them up. And, um, you know, you look at what you look at what people are doing with that B58 in line six, which is a BMW engine, of course, because that thing's got, you know, a lot of BMW in it. But, um, 
Yeah, it's neat. And, you know, cars that capture the imagination of kids, cars that capture the imagination of, of like, young enthusiasts are, are always cool because it's it, it shows that uh, even us old guys have something to be hopeful for going forward. Oh, yeah. Dude, it's like going to the World Cup. That is my – every year – that is one of the three races that I put on my calendar that I have to find a way to get to to either help out with the live broadcast, cover it for editorial, or crew on someone's car. Just because of the cool stuff and the atmosphere you see there. And it's it's such a that demographic is like what advertisers drool over there. That that whole market is like the eighteen to thirty five year old male is like just that that's an ocean of them there. Yeah, and you know I've, the closest I've ever come is, is watching the the live stream of the race. I've never actually been to it. Typically, I think we're we're down south somewhere doing something with NHRA that weekend. But um, you know, the, the and the international flavor of that thing is what is what is what is so cool to me to see as well. And you see the photos, and everybody's got their flags from wherever they came from to watch. And you have cars coming from South America and Central America, Puerto Rico, and the islands to come race at that thing. But it is. In my mind, it falls in the same category as a lights out um, or as a no mercy. It's a race that has its own culture built around it. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the only event you can go to and stand at the top end during one class and shoot an outlaw 10-5 screw-blown car making a full rip down the quarter mile. You God intended, mind you. And then <laughs> go to the starting line and hear a rotary engine go up on the chip, shoot giant gorilla flames, and sound like it's going to destroy the earth beneath it. I mean, it's it's wild. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean that's the same at the same race the rotary guys doing. You got D Marinas running, you know, five fifty something in a nitrous car, a quarter mile, you know, insanity. Yeah, and you get it's funny. You start talking to the radio tire guys, and they they get kind of little. You could see almost. I'm not going to say fear. We'll say genuine concern when you got to run that quarter mile stuff because radio tires start doing weird weird things at the top end when you're going that fast even when you yeah. lift it uh the in-car videos are very entertaining to sit at my desk and watch i don't i don't have the guts to be sitting in the driver's seat doing what those guys are doing at those speeds it's uh it's it's heavy duty before ray put the the wing on the camaro when we were going up there and running the car and he was running almost 200 on the g meter it would start acting weird at the top end because the car was skating around. And I looked at him like, what's that all about? He goes, oh, it's just a car moving around at the top end. I'm like, your definition of small movements and my definition of small movements are very different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because oh, awesome. I've, you know, my street car done 120 something in the quarter mile and it got twitchy at the top end. And that's enough to make it, my heart jump up into my throat going yeah, let alone 200 something or right around 200 yeah yeah that's you know i i'd have to you know that, that's like a really really cold lake you got to work your way into that one because otherwise it's it's not enjoyable and you know kind of going off you know the, the whole top speed thing is you know you used to do the ecta deal which to me that was one of by the to me that's another event that i would honestly put in the same bucket is the World Cup in the sense of all the different stuff that you get to see, but it's on a different dimension. It, it's if you don't get to go to Bonneville, going to that standing mile stuff, that's freaking awesome. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, for us, when when I was involved with ECTA, um, we ran, we basically ran off the Bonneville rule book, and and our 
organization was was really um, was really a land speed racing organization versus a, you know like a want to go faster. Those guys, nothing that they do is wrong. I'm just saying that they're more geared toward you know uh, a hypercar enthusiast or a land, an exotic owner that type of stuff. So yeah, we had guys with uh, you know belly tankers showing up. We had Lakesters there. We had and, and then guys would you know a lot of our racers did compete at Bonneville year in year out. Uh, but some some guys did build dedicated just mile cars and. Yeah, it's a neat thing, man. We had a guy uh, run 100 miles an hour on a on a uh, specially built Ford 8N tractor. Uh, he built his tractor as a land speed racing tractor. So it was an actual 8N Ford with a full body on it. He built these beautiful wheel enclosures for it. He built a roll cage, um, and it had a uh, it had a flathead, a built flathead in it, and he ended up going like 105 or 106. It had no suspension, and the thing was basically bouncing off the ground <laughs> at 100 miles an hour when he was going through the lights and. Uh, Dave Marcus, you mentioned guys that were like hardcore racers in the stock car world. I mean, Dave Marcus, uh, the, the legendary stock car racer, was one of our standing mile competitors and a genuinely good guy who was really quick to tell fun stories and a great driver. And our stock car class up there was, was interesting because Brad Kozlowski's dad and uncle raced with us as well. And they had one of Brad's old cars um, that they had a 500 or 600 inch big block on spray in. And they were running 230-plus in the standing mile in that thing. So the stock car category was super entertaining because all you had to have was a former NASCAR chassis car, and you could put whatever you wanted for a motor in it, and we'd classify you by engine displacement and let it rip. So we saw some neat stuff happen up there with, with those. Oh, yeah. My my buddy that I went down there with, and he set, a, set two records. One of them was in uh, Toyota T or E86 whatever those were, the Subaru, Toyota, conglomeration. Yeah, yeah. He set a record on one of those that had a blower on it, and we drove the car there. So we nice. drove, yeah, and I wanted to, it's almost one of those deals where you want to put the uh, the sticker on the car that says you got to remember to drive this thing home stupid. Because, so, <laughs> you know, right. Columbus to Wilmington's a little bit of a jaunt. But, you know, I, it was cool. You know, we set the record, and he got, you know, gave me one of the, you know, record setter crew t-shirt deals. And then he went back down and he's, you know, cause there's so many different classes, which again, makes it really cool. He yes. set the record in his right hand drive Mitsuyoko Vute, which is basically a Japanese, it's on a Nissan Sentra chassis, but it looks like a forties car. And he set a record in that car too. Just wow. Just yeah. because he found a place in the record book or in the rule book where that car would fit. And he thought it could set a record and it's funny. He took it to our friend's shop here in town. He goes, we got to figure out how to make this thing faster. And Sean looks at him like he had two heads. He's like, you could tell you wanted to say why. But then he realized he was talking to Doc. Doc can't leave anything stock. So Yeah, he has to touch everything. Yeah. And then he told him what he was going to do. He's like, all right, we'll figure something out. And they figured out a way. He set the record by a couple miles an hour. And he goes, hey, a record's a record. You know, oh, yeah, it was, I mean, we'd see people like, you know, the, and, and it works, you get the cardboard and you get the, the tape out. And if you start using cardboard, you tape off the grill, you tape off the, you know, the headlight buckets and stuff like that. You will pick up a mile an hour or two mile an hour just on flattening the, or getting the arrow, you know, just a little bit more clean. Um, University of Northern Ohio guys would come out. Uh, they had a, uh, an instructor that would race with us. He'd bring his students. And we had a class called Highway Hauler for, uh, over the road trucks and he drove uh he drove an uno tractor trailer down there one meet and he made two runs with it i think he went 77 or 78 miles an hour or something and he was our 
he was our highway hauler or heavy haul uh, record holder when we left. And it was awesome seeing the big rig make the run and then come get his time slip after. Yeah, that's that's the cool thing about those events that I encourage. I've told people to go. I'm like, you got to go to these. I'm like, it's it's a really cool, chill, relaxed environment, and just take it in. It's just something you go to and you drink in the the experience and the spectacle. Yeah, and it's a different, you know, landscape racing, um, especially in the in the Bonneville style form, is is a very interesting kind of competition because typically everybody's on their own program and like when you go to bonneville um even at bonneville which is the biggest land speed race in the world there's only about 500 or so entries if you include all the cars and bikes and at most you'll have some categories that'll have maybe two or three cars in it but you know i think a lot of people and it's and it really is a, a not it's not a very well understood form of racing because it is so small you know land speed racing everybody um, has the you know the romance of Bonneville. Everybody knows what it is and what happens there. But until you actually go there and understand what you're looking at, um, it's a different deal. And, and my point here is because nobody's really racing each other, it is a like a giant collective. And drag racing, in a lot of ways, is like that. You know, people help each other out, and people go above and beyond to make sure their competition is is uh, able to do what they do, compete. But in land speed racing. Uh, it, it goes 10 steps beyond that because the guy next to you may have a streamliner and you may have a Volkswagen. And because there is no competitive animosity between either of you, you become like super fast friends and you share everything and you do all the stuff and you help each other out. So it's a, it's a very cool environment. To me, bond, like that land speed stuff, it's a lot like, you know, people that are good at it and what they do. It To me, it's a lot like watching people play table games and casinos. It's awesome. It's cool. I have no idea how to do it. I just like watching people do it. I'm like, That's, and they, they, and lots of them spend their money. Can I do it? No. Do I appreciate it? Absolutely. Yeah, and it's and it's you know, you know for years at Bankship, people were like, oh, because you know one of the things we we prided ourselves on for ten years is is going out there and doing a good job covering the event on, on Salt Flats, and people are always like, why don't you live stream this? It's like, well, here's why. So, like, put your hand, hold your hand up in front of your face with your back of your hand towards your eyeballs, and then count your fingers. And that's how many courses there are in the salt flats at running simultaneously at any moment. There's five on a good year. There'll be five courses and those courses range in length from a half mile to seven miles. So how in the hell can anybody do anything that makes any sense here? So you got to put, you got to stage cameras every mile down the, down the salt. You know, you, the only time you're close to the race cars at Bonneville is in the pits and in the staging lanes and at the starting line. Yeah. But after that, you're, you know, you're live and die on a radio signal and, it's just so it's so cool because it's so unlike anything else, and it's it's racing that completely strips down to its bare, um, you know, bare, down to its bare essentials. There is no corporate sponsorship. Of course, there's a lot of people with money because of the fact that, uh, you know, because of the fact that that's the nature of the business. When you go fast, typically you have some money. But um, there is the guy with the 50 cc motorcycle has just as much right to the salt as George Petit with his, you know. Billion dollar speed demon streamliner. It's cool. Oh yeah, that's that, and I think that's what kind of makes just motorsports and even drag racing so fun in general, is that it's it's that sense of belonging when you're a racer or a fan. That very rarely do I catch any negative vibes at an event ever. Sure. You know, there, there's been some instances where I've seen. And the thing, crazy story at a. At a 
during a no prep race at a location that will not be named to protect people during a grudge race that happened afterwards. Um, I experienced my first time there being gunplay at a drag strip. And I'm like, I'm trying to leave out of the tower and the track manager's like, you're gonna have to hold up for a second. I'm like, why? He's like, all the guys in the staging lanes are fighting and one of them pulled a gun. I'm like, all right, that's a first. You know, that that's that was something that I was definitely you don't see it that often. Usually the most traumatic thing you see at a racetrack is a drunk person doing something stupid, which is usually YouTube gold. Yeah. The the, the scorpion guy. That guy will forever live on in infamy forever at every racing event, I think. Yeah, it's um uh, it's uh it's something, man. It's something. Yeah. There are times, you know, the only times I've ever kind of been around that stuff that I've known about has been, uh, you know, it's some of the, you know, I'll lost, I'll lost out stuff, but it's, uh, it can get weird in a hurry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you, when you're rolling around and I've seen this at dirt track races too. And when people are, you know, drinking early enough in the day that McDonald's breakfast is still solidly on the menu, that's when you know, things are going to be, it's going to be a long, long day. A hundred percent. 100 percent yes and you just sit back and you, you you watch it watch it burn because you, you know you know i'm not going to make that mistake but i kind of want to see where this goes with this person yeah i mean it's you know i think uh in general it's it's one of those things man it's like in life you know like um like any great party you've ever been to when you're a kid like it's always the best, like right before the police show up. Yes. You know what I mean? Like the best fun is always right on that edge of this not being fun. And uh, I guess it's, it's every once in a while it's good to get a reminder that uh, that you can still have that kind of fun, but just not too often. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, yeah. You you don't want to go past eleven because when you get to twelve, that's when stuff starts breaking. <laughs> right. Yeah. The popping noises start and stuff starts breaking. Yeah. Exactly. It's a lot like a race car engine. You can push it so far, but once you get too far, it's you know the, the diminishing returns kick in and police are called and security shows up and it's just it's not fun. It's over, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> People are yelling "World Star." You don't know what's going on. You know. <laughs> it's. It, it, again, it's when you're when you're on the media side of things. I wish I sh- I should wear a GoPro camera at some point, just so people can see some of the ridiculousness and the stuff that happens. You know, not on the track, but when they see me turn my head and look at the crowd, it's not because I'm looking for someone that I know. It's I've heard something that caught my attention in the crowd and it's usually someone yelling or something going on. And some of the conversations and things you get drug into sometimes just on accident that you don't want to be a part of. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's and that, that type of thing, you know, it goes back to Donald's races, especially lights out, you know, and there's, it's, it's uh, all the people in a really small space and God only knows what most of them are doing. Uh, it's chasing the guy over with the shell game and the guy playing three card Monty, you know, it's, 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 it's stuff that you laugh about a little bit. It's not, it's not a great thing that some guys, you know, trying to scam his way through the race with a three cut with a, with a shell game, but it also cracks you up because where else is that going to happen? You know, it's, it it just, it it just isn't happening other places. So, um, you know, I always say to people like, uh, you know, Bill Donor just died not too long ago, and I always like asking old racers about the Bill Donor events. And I feel like, you know, when I'm uh, doddering old man, people will be asking me about the about Donald's races at some point. You know, twenty years down the road. 
Yeah, and I I think the other thing with that event is you know back when I first started going to them, all the media people we would be in the tower like where. I don't even understand how that's possible. Having done this a few times now there, I don't understand how that even is, is a thing. It, you, trust me, it, it was barbaric. It was terrifying. Yeah. There's, there, <laughs> let's put it this way. There was one time where there's some shenanigans were happening, and Linko Jim came up to give us the dad talking to, and I haven't feared for my life in a way like that in a very long time because I thought, all right, well, this is how I'm going to die. This guy's going to twist my head off and, you know, kill me right here because he, he was fired up. But, yeah, it was – yeah, it was packed in there, and I think you could probably have a really entertaining live stream of just the things that go on in that tower and come in and out, because you guys are right by the door. Which Oh, yeah, yeah, it's it's like, I mean, this is a, this is an honest, this is a God's honest true story. So at one point, a couple years ago, we had, you know, random just drunken vagrants coming in the door. We had kids uh, building a fort out of old boxes behind us. We had people with dogs and animals in the tower. Donald was having a screaming match with one of the racers. And the, the woman at the time, who was the computer operator, I don't know why she hated me. I don't know why. This lady was, uh, she was a strange woman, but she totally, totally hated me for some reason. So she was screaming at me across the room for a thing. And I just stood around and I said, this is, this is, this is a circus. And it, it was an absolute circus. And, uh, and so, somehow we finished the race. So, I mean, it, it all works out in the end, but it just, it, it is like, a it's like an Egyptian bazaar in that building. Yeah, and I, I, I don't even know how to describe it to people. That's the tamed down version of yeah. what was going on. <laughs> like, I, there's times where I'll throw that door open and I've got to ask Wade a question, and I'll take like a half a second to see what's going on in the room, and I'll read you and Lee's eyes, and I'll be like, all right, I'm going to come back later because I don't want to be a witness to what might or might not happen in here. Yeah, it's and I can I can say this like to, to everybody's uh, threat, it, it continues. You know, each one of these things continues to get a little bit better in a lot of ways. And obviously, we were confronted with a uh, crummy weather situation at lights out, and we had to knuckle down. And I mean, we raced until what three o'clock in the morning that night, or every time we finished. Uh, yeah. But we got the event done. And then Sunday, you know, you were here. You still Sunday was a complete complete washout. So. You got to do what you got to do, but you know that was one of the things I was kind of proud of the whole small group of us that are in that uh, you know little Alamo of a building up there because you know not only nobody got on each other's case and the, the guys that were running the staging lanes, the guys that were running the starting line, you know everybody just put their head down and, and buffalo through it, which is cool. Yeah, and I I spent you know a good amount of time up there, you know in between classes, you know killing some time when they're giving race or yeah. cooldown time. And it was still, you know, push the pace, push the pace, let's get cars going. But, you know, the other funny thing that people don't realize is when the insanity is in full swing up there, there's one steadfast, calm in the middle of the storm thing you can count on. That's Bobby Bennett sitting there typing away on his keyboard, wishing that he was in a different dimension. Yeah, I don't know if it's like a defense mechanism or a coping mechanism for Bobby, but he does just sit back there and just kind of do his thing. And he seems unrattled. He's like the guy, like the war reporter from World War One, like sitting in a shell hole, like knocking out his story as the, you know, as people are charging with bayonets out into the trenches. But he just sits there. He's nonplussed by the whole thing. And then, you know, at some point around midnight, he usually goes, well, that's it for me. I'm going back to the hotel. And he just serenely walks out of the room. I don't understand how he maintains that level of calm. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- that's 
Yeah, that's why when the suites were still on the other side, we would go camp out one of the suites because after the couple times I was in there, I'm like, I can't deal with this. I'm like, this is insanity on a whole new, like, it, it summarizes that race just across the board, that it's it's an experience and an event that you will always remember where you were when something happened there. Exactly right. Um, yeah, between the big record runs or the crazy flying cars or the bizarre drunken antics of fans that we have to direct the security personnel to, all of it carries a uh, all of it carries a very interesting uh, mental kind of notebook with it. Yeah. 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 That, like I, I referenced the dude that did the front side face plant. I remember. I remember when we rolled into the gates that weekend. That dude was drinking like he was drunk on Wednesday before the first round of Radio vs. the World came out. And I, I was rolling with, you know, Chevelle Rob, who's his own entertainment. And I'm like, Rob, we got to watch this dude because I guarantee he's going to do something stupid this weekend. And then that video popped up. I'm like, just call me Nostradamus, bro. I told you it there was going to happen. Called it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, you can. It's funny for us because, you know, we're up there looking out the same window for days and you start seeing the people that are, you know, the VIP uh, ticket holders and the, and the arc, as we call it, the center of the track or the people just the, the kind of real birds or whatever. And, um, you, you do start like either you start kind of creating these mental stories around people. Like, you know, I don't know who this person is, but I bet he's from here and I bet he does this and whatever. Um, and then you go, okay, this guy right here is going to be a problem before the weekend's out. And like you said, after you've done it enough, you can, you can legitimately pick the bad apples out of the bunch before they even start to spoil. Yeah. Oh, oh I, I, we give people nicknames along the fence line. So when we're communicating <laughs> with each other, like I, they know where I'm at approximately on the track. I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm over here by, so, you know, so-and-so, or, you know, Johnny drunk face or Betty, La- Betty Loudmouth. you know, that way we, we have a reference point. Oh, okay. You know, you're almost at the three thirty mark and I know where to look instead of looking around trying to, to find another media person on the line you know, you can, you can figure out where they're at. Makes it a lot easier. Yeah. And like the infamous mop girl from several years ago, you know, bless her heart. That, <laughs> I, I still have people ask me about that. I'm like, I, what I want to be in whatever universe she was in. I'll like, say I had a moment uh, that that uh, woman came up into the tower one night, uh, whatever day it was of the race, and it was very late as it always is there. She said to whoever, because she worked at the racetrack, obviously, she said to whoever, she said, "You know, I think I'm just going to, uh, I'm just going to sleep in my car tonight." And I thought to myself, "Just tonight? Yeah, yeah. just tonight? <laughs> really, really, Karen? Really?" <laughs> it, it's. It's one of those things where you just, again, you want to base a TV show around some of these personalities you see at the, tr- like, you see person people with personalities and stuff like that, all these different tracks. You know, even even local tracks, there's workers that we give, you know, have personalities and nicknames. You know, you just, you want to see what their life is outside of all this. Yeah, and yes. Yeah, I, I, I'll actually go no further than that, but Yes. <laughs> A hundred percent. You wonder if they're going to show up in an episode of Hoarders at some point. You wonder exactly, you know, what what is happening outside of the gates of the racetrack for this person. Hoarder, yeah. Hoarders, cops, live PD, it's all the same. It is. A, hey, listen, man, AD is just killing it these days. They got all the hot programming. Yeah, they they, they just look at the. They, yeah, you're 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 an elderly man like myself. Like, do you remember what AD was was that channel with like the old guy that just they just did biography shows on like Bette Midler. Yeah. And now all of a sudden it's the it's the network of live PD and hoarders twenty four hours a day. Yeah, I remember when the learning channel had something other than honey boo boo and a bunch of midgets running around. <laughs> right. <laughs> what what happened? What's happened to this universe? Right. 
dogs and cats living together. I mean, yeah. it's, it's mass hysteria. Well, it's like that uh, the bumper sticker, you know, giant meteor twenty twenty. You know, we're ready. Yeah, you know, I, I just want to go back to the days when you know John Force was upside down and on fire, and Steve Evans was trying to you know get him not to jump out of his skin. You know, simpler, simpler times, simpler times. One of my favorite, uh, you know, one of I won't keep rambling on here, but one of my favorite Steve Evans moments and, and how much television stuff has changed. 1997 at Gainesville, uh, Al Hoffman has a huge fire, a spectacular funny car fire. The car hurdles into the guardrail going God only knows how fast, 170, 180 miles an hour, still in flames, the body's off, the thing's off in the grass. And so, you know, all those shows were edited at the time. They were, they were not live at that point. So, the way that they show the wreck, they show a replay, and they cut to Steve Evans, and he's doing, he's talking about Al Hoffman, and the shot pulls back, and people are literally performing mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on Al Hoffman behind him in the shot. And it's like, you cannot show that on television in 2020. No, no. I'm surprised they did it in 1997. You go, you can go on YouTube and, and find the 97 Gator Nationals, Al Hoffman crash, and watch it, and it's unreal. I mean, Hoffman was burned. He ended up recovering. He had to go to the hospital. But, um, yeah, he is, like, being, like, giving, giving critical medical care, and, and Evans is doing a stand-up right next to him. <laughs> Yowzer. I don't remember. It's wild, man. I'm going to go wild. look at that up now. But, yeah, that's yeah. definitely things you don't see these days for 200, Alex. 100%. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. Wow. Well, Brian, our time is uh, coming to an end here, and I like to give my guests their ability to become John Force and plug all their sponsors and what's going on. You don't have to impersonate John. Alex already did that, and she, I, I think she set the bar so high that'll never be touched. But you know, you can just <laughs> rattle off, you know, what you got going on, where people can find you, and you know, all that fun stuff. So I will uh, turn the floor over to you. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, so NHRA, of course. Um... Normally, that's my that's my, my big gig, I guess, at this point. But we're on hiatus, so you can you can follow along on uh, NHRA's YouTube page or NHRA.com for for all the updates and video there. Uh, Bankshift.com website I write for every day, as Brian brought up, and then the uh, two podcasts are the NHRA Insider Podcast, which is all like NHRA stuff, and then the Dorkomotive Podcast, which is a history, general automotive, wacky stories, fun deal, and. Uh, I think that's it. Other than my, you know, vast amount of philanthropy and charity work that I'll leave, uh, I'll leave quiet for now. That's all I do. <laughs> Amazing. And all, all of this, all of this is 100% virus free fun. Uh, yes. Uh, so far, I am still waiting some of the tests to come back, but as of right now, you can claim virus free fun. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Non newsworthy. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and nothing to report there, but no, it's, yeah. uh, yeah. I mean, it, the big thing for me is if you're an NHRA drag racing fan, like keep your fingers crossed and hopefully we get this thing cranked up in Houston and, uh, otherwise just stay tuned and we'll, we'll keep you updated. Well, there you have it folks. Thanks for Brian for stopping by and, uh, we'll see you soon, man. Thanks Brian. I appreciate you having me on, man. Well, that wraps up the show for this week. Thanks for Brian for stopping by. And as always, may your reaction times be crisp and your wind lights bright. Until next week, folks.